Welcome to The Story We Tell Ourselves, a podcast for Christian women living in the 21st century where we talk about the narratives we live by and are confronted with in our culture today. I am your host, Rebecca McNeely, and every episode features a guest with unique expertise, which will equip us with the tools we need to live faithfully in the politically charged, hyper-connected, and increasingly complex world. We hope you enjoy. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Okay, welcome, Crystal. Thank you so much for being here today. Tanshi, thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me on your podcast today. My name is Crystal Lavalley, Métis from Red River Settlement, my dad's side of the family. Auntie Annie Lavalley married into the Louis Riel family. So Louis Riel was the founder of the province of Manitoba. You know, hung for treason or hero, we don't know. Um, but I, I like to allude to the fact that what he did um, back then empowered me to stand proud as a Métis today. And what that means is just the preservation of culture and language and traditional way of life and community and all aspects of who we are as Métis. And then my mom's side is actually Greek from Sparta. So if that wasn't intense enough, I have that combo in my bloodline. But um, I'm a producer with First People's Voices, which are segments that air on 100 Huntley Street. And I also launched an educational charity eight years ago that focuses on restoring honor and dignity to the First Peoples of Canada through history, telling the proper side of the history. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So much there. I could ask a hundred questions about that, but that's amazing. And, and the work you're doing is so important because we need to know the right history, the true history, and it's so often inaccessible to people. Um, okay. So why is Orange Shirt Day significant specifically? Yeah. And um, I love that we're doing this podcast because it still gives a great opportunity for your audience to understand and learn about the dark chapter of Canada, where skeletons in the closet have been kind of kept there and they've been falling out over the last two years um, through the unmarked graves of uh, children at different residential school sites across the country, and as well as the Pope coming to visit. Like all of this activity has put eyes on Canada regarding Indigenous people. So First Nation, Métis, Inuit children were forced from their families, taken from their families and stripped of their culture and their language and put into government mandated schools run by the church's faith, faith community. And, um, you know, the, the beginning of those schools was based on treaty rights and negotiations where when the settlers came, they promised, um, you know, education for the indigenous people and, and a better way of life. And the Indigenous people in exchange said, yes, you can live on this land, knowing that the land isn't something to be um, bought or sold, but a place where we can all dwell together. And so when those treaty negotiations were, were breached in the residential schools, um, children died in those schools, they were tortured in those schools, they were abused in those schools, and um, and nobody really seemed to care at that time. And We've got Duncan Campbell Scott, who is the head of Department of Indian Affairs, who knew the mistreatment was happening, but he just didn't do anything. And so Orange Shirt Day, um, it, which is also called the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, 
Um, Orange Shirt Day was started by Phyllis Webstad. She's a survivor of residential school where she tells her story of going to her grandmother bought her a brand new shirt. It was orange. She went to the school and they took it away from her. And so she's been a real um, um, advocate for the history, the real history of what happened across this land. And um, last year, the government mandated the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, a day to pause and reflect on these atrocities and giving people action steps on what they can do in, on this day so that we don't repeat the, the mistakes of the past. I see that I, I, I realize like this is something I care a lot about, but I, I, so much of that you just shared, I didn't know. I didn't even realize that the um, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is such a recent thing. Like that's only been like one, has it only been one time that that's happened? Yeah. So part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, they they did uh, six years of talking to survivors of Indian residential school across this land. And they came up with 94 calls to action on what Canada Canadians can do to restore the honor and the dignity to the first peoples where the schools was really the policy was to assimilate them into the dominant culture, which was the colonizer mindset, which was the settler mindset, which is really hard to grasp if you haven't learned about it until recently. And um, yeah, and so that this stuff wasn't taught in school. I didn't learn about it in school. My dad, he, my dad's side of the family, nobody talked about having native blood inside, you know, it running through our veins because if you had native blood, you couldn't get a job. You couldn't raise your family. You couldn't own land. So there was um, a manipulation that happened for the first peoples where if they wanted to carry out who God has created them to be, they had to give up their rights as Indigenous people. Uh, and like how devastating to like have to choose between two like so essential identities. Like it's just beyond what I could even imagine. What have you been hearing, would you say, from survivors in communities across the country? Mm-hmm. So I always start with this, Rebecca, that there are 634 First Nation communities across the country, 25 Inuit communities, and eight registered Métis settlements. And each community is different. It's often run by a, a, a chief and a band council or community members. And every region has stories of similar, um, you know, similar happenings that happen, you know, that took place for survivors in those schools. And um, and over 7,000 or just about 7,000, definitely over 6,500 survivors told their stories. 150,000 children that we know of were sent to those schools. So out of 150,000, 6,500 shared their stories with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, I want to just answer that other part of your question is that the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation was a part of those calls to action. It's number 80, where they said we call on the government, the federal government, to have a day of reflection to pause and remember what happened to those children. And, um, you know, last year when Kamloops uh, hit the news um, to Kamloops, Sequapin, they're out in B.C., they never set out to prove to the world that there was bodies in the ground at their former residential school site. They were trying to actually build a pathway through the orchard. And by default, 
because of COVID, they couldn't get the supplies. And so they asked the funders to reroute their funding to another project. And when they asked the elders, what should we use the funding for? The elders said, let's try the sonar uh, radar screening. And they cleared two acres of their land. And within the first five minutes, the, the, the person who was doing the screening was able to identify in the, in the ground, the bodies. And, you know, when I asked the department head of culture and language, Ted Godfordson, I said, you know, do, do your people know that this was God that did this? And he literally said to me, Crystal, this was sheer evil and cloaked in, you know, regular clothing. He said, because how could a loving God destroy children? And, you know, they had a church on their community. They have a church on their community. He said, we put up extra security to protect it because it was, the funds were raised by our people. It was built by our people. And we want, that's part of our history. And we want to, we want to protect it. I just came back from um, Mi'kmaq territory uh, up in Newfoundland and Labrador, where the chief said to us, you know, Crystal, I know Jesus in the Gospels wasn't responsible for the destruction of our of our people. It was the institution. It was the church. And that's why the Pope apology was important um, as a as a global figure. He needed to come to the land and make that apology. And that was just the next best best step. And you know, there's 94 calls to action. I think 11 or 13 have been fulfilled. So we still have a long way to go. But but that's what we're hearing on the ground is that people people are still broken and they're on they're on their journey. They're on a healing journey. And all these steps that we take is the next step for for a community, for a family, for a generational line to find healing. I can only also imagine like people act on behalf of God in ways that are so opposite to who he was, who Jesus was. You know, I would love to know just action steps that people can take on the 30th, but I'm wondering if there are particular action steps that the church should be taking as well that maybe look different. Mm -hmm. Great question, Rebecca. I believe everybody, every Canadian needs to read those calls to action. They need to read the report on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission on what happened to Indigenous children, which affected Indigenous families, which which you can still see today. So when you go into certain communities, you can see the poverty. You can see that they're not a resilient and strong community as they should be. You know, they're still strong and resilient in their own ways. But because of that intergenerational trauma, we see... Um, you know, what probably many of your audience has heard is the stereotypes, drunk, lazy, living off the system. And that is far from the truth. And when you understand what happened to them as a people, then you can have compassion. Um, and then you can look at that TRC document and go, okay, 94 calls to action. There's actually a section where they call upon the faith institutions to do their part to restore culture and language and identity and honor. And, um, 
you know, I always encourage people to talk about it with your friends, you know, watch some of the stories on first people's voices on the YouTube page or 100huntleystreet.com, you know, um, listen to the stories, have dialogue, um, you know, grab Phyllis Webstad's book on orange shirt day, you know, read it to your kids. If, if you've got little kids, um, but the most important thing is to pray and bless the communities across Canada because they've, they've been struggling for so long and they're often out of sight, out of mind. And so we don't really, because we don't see them, we, oh, oh, they're fine. They're fine. But these communities, they, I always say reconciliation to an Indigenous person is come and sit with us, come and eat with us, come and love us. Um, and so if you have an opportunity to go and, and build relationships, by all means, go with no agenda, uh, just to love. And, and that would, that would, that would definitely do your part in, in walking out healing and understanding that the two relations, indigenous and non, can walk together um, for a bigger purpose and and just do what Jesus said, which is love your love your neighbor as yourself. Love him and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and what you're describing is something that like I see all the time in some of my studies is like our preference in North America to favor individual explanations for what is largely like structural consequences when like institutions were set up to like hurt and oppress and steal from people like that doesn't stop like there's ongoing impacts and I do think that's hard I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around um I speak about myself in specific specifically as like a, a settler like that that's a really hard thing to grasp and I think it's an ongoing journey of learning and I think the best way to learn and you can correct me if I'm wrong but is to be in relationship with people who've lived differently and who've had different experiences and who've maybe been on the receiving end of that kind of pain and, and unfairness mm-hmm. and I think um you're I think you have to remember too that the indigenous people that I've met and I've been in over 24 communities across Canada, nobody wants revenge. Nobody is angry. What they want is that right relationship. That's the bedrock of reconciliation right there is to have a right relationship um, to recognize for the Pope to say that it was a genocide Mm -hmm. is finally a relief to so many of those survivors, which we have 80,000 survivors of Indian residential schools still alive today. That was the TRC report. <laughs> and, you know, maybe, maybe one of your action steps is, yeah, okay, I'm going to bless the survivors of Indian residential school that they will get the pain out of their hearts in order to move, move forward. And, and how do you move forward when it was so destructive and destroyed who you were and stripped you of your culture? But we we have to start somewhere. And and the disposition of Indigenous people who I've met, they're not pointing the finger at you, Rebecca, saying, you colonizer, you settler, you did this to us. Um, they're saying, "Would could you just love us? Could you just walk with us? Could you just sit with us and listen and share stories and share food and share your heart? 
because that's who we are as people and that's what we value. And so I thank God for those forerunners who are plowing the way for the Indigenous people and advocating. Um, I love that. I think it's all needed. Um, But don't ever think for a second, Rebecca, that you're just a settler or you're just, uh, you know, you know, if you've been labeled a colonizer, that's not the heart of Indigenous people at all. Wow. I'm wondering if I think this is something that I've wondered about for a long time is if the voices that are the loudest that speak on behalf of Indigenous communities that are painting a picture of like anger and of not of revenge, but do you think that sometimes the loudest voices who speak on behalf of Indigenous communities are not really speaking on behalf of Indigenous communities and it's a a social justice cause that they've, you know, made their own without taking time? Because this perspective that you just described to me, I haven't heard as often. I haven't heard as much. Mm -hmm. So, Rebecca, in mainstream media, in the newsroom, I was taught that if it bleeds, it leads. So if there is the voices that are speaking the loudest are coming from mainstream media that are not Indigenous leaders, because the DNA of an Indigenous person isn't to hold unforgiveness. It's to be kind. It's to be gracious. So I always default back to the people who I'm in relationship with, or at least who I've connected with, which is Dr. Nigon Sinclair, who is, uh, his dad was the chair of the TRC. Um, Dr. Nigon Sinclair and I, we have these tough conversations. I ask him the hard stuff. And the one thing that really stuck out to me when we were talking about the Catholic church and the institution, he was telling the truth. He didn't shy away from the truth of what actually happened. And that came across as could have, you you could have viewed it as aggressive, but at the end he said, Crystal, it's good for the Pope to come and apologize. So that Catholic, so that indigenous people who are Catholic can find their healing. So it's not about pointing fingers saying, you did this, you did this. What the Indigenous voice is asking for is ownership of the wrongs. Take ownership because here's the truth. Take ownership of the wrongs so that we can have a uh, a common denominator to stand on in order to move forward. So um, I would encourage your audience to find the Indigenous voices of leaders um, like the Jody Wilson-Raybolts who have been so gracious in their communication on the truth and haven't shied away and also take with a grain of salt, those who are more, more aggressive, if, if you've heard it or if it's in the news, but I would encourage you to find books, uh, read articles written by indigenous people, because you'll find the thread of the heartbeat um, of, of our people is, is to lead and not to lead to say, you suck you know, we're going to push you to the side, but to lead and to walk as brothers as originally intended, because that was the spirit and intent of the treaties. And what an opportunity to be able to like do the right thing and acknowledge the harm done. Thank you so much, Crystal. This has been very insightful and really, it's a perspective I hadn't really heard. And I think our listeners will really appreciate what you had to say. Yeah. And Rebecca, if I could, can I just say a quick prayer for everybody who's listening? I would love that. Mm-hmm. So we just say Magwitch Nathawe. We say thank you, Father. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you've created us. Every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. You've created us all to glorify and worship you. And God, I thank you for the truths 
um, that is being revealed and still being revealed. It's hard. It's messy. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. God, give us the grace to face it, to look at it, to not shy away from it, to hear it, to digest it, and uh, to shift our mindset towards one of love and your kingdom, which said, you know, people will know us by our love. They'll know us by the way we treat one another. And so I pray for this podcast and I thank you for Rebecca creating space for this conversation to be had. And um, I just pray that it would, it would reach who needs to, who needs to hear it and that we would be better because of the conversation. So I just, I just thank you for her life, Rebecca's life and for all the work that they're doing over there. And we just bless her in Jesus name. Amen. tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken no I won't be shaken when darkness tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken no I won't be shaken my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love.